Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Alexis Kingsbury, co-founder of a company called Air Manual. As you'll get from the episode, Alexis loves delegation, he loves process, and he speaks very passionately about what to many might be quite a boring topic, but actually, when you dig deep into it, there's some really valuable takeaways, whether you are a business owner or whether or not you're an employer or someone who has people under you in your team. It's um, what might sound like a boring topic is actually pretty interesting and no doubt will add a lot of value to you and some maybe even people you know. So feel free to share if that is the case. If this is your first time here, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I think you will. It's a pretty good one. Let me and Alexis know your favorite bits on social media at 10Q Interview everywhere you might look. And most importantly, don't forget to hit subscribe. Obviously, I'm sure you know the value to podcasts of subscribers and downloads and what have you. It would mean the world to me and no doubt Alexis too if you share this episode far and wide. As I said a minute ago, there's loads of stuff in there that I think, you know, valuable lessons that you will either benefit yourself hugely or someone you know. So make sure to share with them if that is the case. Anyway, that's enough of me rambling for now. Uh, now onto the podcast. Alexis, good morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your thoughts on Thank You Interview. I'm really looking forward to uh, catching up. That's great to be here. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. We'll crack straight on with question number one. So you meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? Uh, apart from like check that I've still got my wallet and things like that yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the way I love the setup for that question <laughs> um, so uh, I would normally I'd, I'd probably explain that I, I help business leaders to spend their time on what matters most at its highest okay. level um, and you know if, if, <laughs> if I get the opportunity to sort longer and that they haven't already walked off possibly with my wallet um, then uh, I'd, I'd normally talk about some of the different businesses that I uh, own. I've got a consultancy. I've got a couple of software businesses. Um, I'm, the one I spend most of my time on, which is Air Manual, uh, is all about documenting processes and onboarding yeah. as interactive checklists uh, so that ultimately businesses can grow and scale and uh, reduce the stress uh, that, they, that they have. Do, um, do but, business leaders know where they need to focus? Um, often not so i i'd say um uh, particularly when it comes to where do you need to free up your time i think yeah. most business owners really struggle with that okay. um, and partly because it is a constant cycle right like if you identify for example some admin that you shouldn't be doing and you need to delegate you hand that over but then you've got you know then there's a new thing that you're probably going <laughs> to need to free up your time yeah. from so partly because it's cyclical partly because a lot of business leaders i talk to they're so busy and they're too close to the problem. They can't see the wood for the trees, you know? And so they, they, uh, you know, I remember talking to a business owner who, um, uh, he'd got a printing business and he was working seven days a week. Right. And so when I spoke to him, I, I mean, and I was lucky they even showed up for the call cause he was like, oh, I'm just so busy. Um, he, not only was he uh, working all hours, but he couldn't see where he could free up any time. And yeah. so, uh, I remember on the conversation, literally, I literally said, well, where are you spending most of your time at the moment? And he listed a few things, but said one of them, uh, which was sending quotes to customers, was taking him three hours per day. And he said, I oh, know, Alexis, I need to, 
I need to delegate this and so on, but I've just not found the time. I figure it'd probably take me eight hours to document it and then I've got to hand it over and so on. And I just never find the time. And so I just do it myself. And so I said, um, well, we've got, you know, we've got 45 minutes available right now. Let's see what we can do. And um, in less than 30 minutes, we managed to document the entire process in uh, in our tool in air manual, like step by step. Here's the st things that need to happen, whether there were tricky bits and you know things that logic that he knew, but no one else. We put that into the detail of, um, of the checklist uh, yeah. and like warnings, whether they're like common or high impact mistakes, they went in as well. And so in under 30 minutes, got the whole thing documented and arranged a call uh, with his account managers in which we then got them to walk through the process, get comfortable with it. And as a result, they were then able to send quotes to customers instead of him, freeing him up three hours a day, so 15 hours per week, basically get his weekend back um, yeah. for the sake of two hours that we spent it, together to, to kind of get that done. And Is that something you see a lot where people overestimate like how long something's going to take and then don't do it as a result. Yeah, definitely. I think le business leaders generally um, underestimate the power of um, uh, sort of you know, documenting and delegating. They underestimate how much could actually be off their plate and they yeah. overestimate how much effort and time it would take to, to get it there. You know, typically we'll talk to um, potential or existing clients of ours and they'll say, you know, they'll say things like, Oh yeah, I know I need to like document the employee onboarding process, but I've just not found the time. You know, I, f I figure we'd probably get a return investment like on our second, third, fourth, fifth hire, but you know, we're just so busy. So I'm just going to this time round, I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll train them directly. I'll spoon feed the information. And yet our experience is the opposite. We found that in, you know, three, when we spend three hours with someone, we can help them document enough onboarding that will, um, allow someone to do most of what they need to do in their very first week in the company. And so we've literally had cases where we spend three to five hours and save someone 18 hours in the following week. Um, and one particular client, I remember in her case, we helped her document her sales process because she was the only person doing sales. She wanted to bring in someone to do sales, was nervous that you know it would completely derail her because she'd spend weeks training this person and not be able to carry on, uh, carry on doing sales herself. So we got it all documented and it saved uh, uh, 18 hours in the first week. And then uh, she calculated over the course of the next three months, she worked out how much time she was expecting to spend and saved uh, 200 hours, which wow, she, she valued as being worth more than 30,000 pounds to her in terms of uh, time. time that she could otherwise bill out and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, and yet beforehand, if we, if I had said, you know, how much time do you think you'll need to put in to get how much time out? I think she, it, she easily would have been double digits on the time to put in. So, and I think we probably would have said, oh, it'll probably take me 20 hours in. And then in terms of saving, I suspect she'd have thought that, oh, well, I'll probably save 20 hours, but I'll have put 20 hours. So I don't get the value of it until the yeah, next yeah. hire. And it's just not true. You can get. What, what do you think incredible. the barrier is? Why do people, is it a fear thing? Is it a busy thing? Is it, why, why do people, it's weird, very weirdly, one of my guests who I've not published yet uh, earlier in the week, she was a virtual assistant. And a lot of what she was saying is the same as what you're saying. A slightly different angle, but, you know, similar use case, I guess, to a certain extent. And she couldn't work out or she had her theories why people wouldn't take it on as a service. I just kind of want, I'm interested to know what you what your view of that is. 
Yeah, so I, I think there's a f I think there's a few reasons. I think one is that people can have bad experiences in the past, and so um, you know we all uh, as entrepreneurs at some point will have an experience where we hire someone, we think that they're going to be the best thing to the company, yeah. and they're going to help us achieve our dreams and all this kind of stuff, and then it doesn't work out for a variety of reasons, yeah. and and so as a result, I think those bad experiences whether it's documenting processes whether it's hiring someone or getting a va or whatever it is unfortunately can burn us so much that we kind of tar the whole thing as being like oh well this doesn't work whereas the reality is it's execution it's a little bit like you could do a facebook advert one day but then if that and if that doesn't work does that mean facebook advertising doesn't work well no of course not there are loads of organizations that make it work it's just that the way that it was done was wrong. And so, and I think that's part of it. And and also I think particularly when it comes to hiring and uh, documenting processes and delegating and so on, there's a lot of value in nuance. It's, yes. you know, it's the little things that make a big difference. You know, in theory, it's like we could compare two people's recruitment processes and say, okay, well, essentially the same thing. You know, you've got candidates in the top of the funnel in both of them. And then there's a series of stages that result in them selecting someone that they think is going to be the best fit for the job. Like, what's the difference? Yeah. And yet, when you go into the detail of like, well, how many candidates, you know, and how did you find those candidates? And what was the job advert that meant that you get the right fit for candidates? And um, what's the first stage that you use in the start in the process to start filtering them? And how? what are you assessing for? How are you making sure that you've got a good assessment of skills and assessment of culture fit? And how that you've got that throughout the process at different stages? And how are you communicating the benefits of working at your organization at the same time so that they're becoming more invested in working for you so that the best candidates don't end up going working as well? And so like when you layer on those things, you suddenly go, oh, wow, okay, yeah, there's a huge difference between a recruitment process at a business where they go oh yeah we, we put out an advert we got a few cvs we invited three to interview one didn't turn up one was drunk and so we hired the other one versus at our businesses well we'll typically uh, for developer roles for example we'll aim for over a thousand candidates we'll filter them through a series of stages um, we'll do test projects with them where they actually spend time do doing some work with our team paid before yeah. we're then selecting our best candidate and at that point, these are all people that are 100% set on, yeah, I want to work for this organization and indeed will even stay in contact with us even if they don't get invited to join us on that particular round. If we feel like they'd be a good fit, we keep in contact and so on. Like, there's a huge, there's a world of difference, but I think that's not always obvious at the surface. And no. so I think people make the mistake of seeing those bad experiences that they've had in the past or, or I've tried that and don't see that actually you can you can get significantly better results when when done a bit differently. So I think so, that's a big part of it. I think the the other big part is that people just do that underestimation, right? They're, or, uh, under an overestimation. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, um, and so I think that's the, the, those are kind of two challenges that that mean that people don't think that they can get these results. So, so the processes that you're putting together for people is that across every aspect of business? Yeah, so we've we've helped businesses document processes and uh, and and delegate processes and so on for every aspect now. So, um, I mean, my background uh, over twenty around sort of seventeen twenty years ago, I was um, a management consultant uh, specialising in processes, and over time, I specialised more in HR and finance processes. And right. so, we have done finance and HR, but 
now through Air Manual, we've done sales and marketing and operations and uh, meeting structure and recruitment and every every aspect. And for a lot of those areas, we have um, template like checklist processes out of the box available as templates. Um, okay. In fact, I, I do um I do a daily uh, I've been doing a daily podcast um, destretchyourbusiness.com where we kind of cover some of these topics, including, you know, how to get recruitment right, how to make sure you're hiring A players, how to onboard people so that they get up to speed really quickly and it doesn't take up a lot of time. And um, one of the nice things when we're doing those is we'll prepare for the episode and then go, hmm, we can really do with like giving people a checklist that they can follow yeah, for yeah, this. Yeah. And so we've ended up like creating ones on how to recruit, how to review a candidate, how to onboard someone, how to create your onboarding, how to prepare for a new joiner, how to have a sales discovery conversation, all these sorts of things. And we've got them all as available uh, available as templates uh, that now, and many we just share for free, but they're also available um, for, for customers of ours. Because, and I think the value is because although you want to customize it, like it, it does, it needs to be relevant to your organization. You can't just leave it as it is. Yeah. Um, a hell of a lot of thinking goes into really good processes. You know, if you speak to an expert on on some aspect of marketing, whether it's PR or um, pay-per-click or whatever, they have honed what they do into such a an art and a science, right? They, they yeah. you know, they're clear on what are the steps they go through, the, you know, defining who the target customer is and exact getting into the nitty gritty of that before they then start writing, okay, what are my key messages? What's my call to action? The thinking that they've got there is so valuable. And so when you've got that as a starting point, oh, it makes things so much easier when you, when you do this kind of stuff. So there's two things that spring to mind for me here. One was, um, so I, I used to be totally anti-process, right? I used to hate it. I used to think I stifled creativity and, and like every other sort of cliche under the sun. And then when I started my own business, I suddenly realized, I was like, oh my God, I can't do everything. Yeah. And I remember listening to this Tim Ferriss podcast mm -hmm. where he talks about processes when he was trying to scale his stuff. And he got to the point where he's like, he, he had a number and I can't remember what or whether he, he divulged it, but he's like, this is the process. And if you making a mistake is going to cost me less than x mm -hmm. or from a customer service perspective if it's going to cost the company less than x do it yeah and i kind of really like that and i thought yeah. you know it's great and then something you just said then made me think about um do you do you run into problems where i can understand it from uh like a founder or an entrepreneur where they go right i need to scale my business i can't do everything and and you know very much when you start off on your own you know, your first hire comes in and yeah. you get some customer service and whatever, whatever. Do you find that when you talk, the example you said then just made me think of it like the marketing side of things. If that's an employee, do you, is it harder for them to get the process done? Because in my cynical mind as an employee, I might be thinking, hold on a second. If I divulge this process to you, then you kind of devalue my um, value to the company. Yeah, so it's an, it's an interesting one and certainly one that I used to hit quite a lot back when I was a management consultant working with, you know, big firms like AstraZeneca and uh, Honda and BP and UK government and Welsh Assembly and so on. And um, and so I would have, you know, back then there were definitely cases, not, yeah. uh, the, the, not the majority, to be clear, okay. um, a minority of people who... Um, they kind of feel like, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm holding the, the keys to, to, the, to the vault here. 
you know, I, I, I if I tell people how other people uh, things have done or document it, then am I not taking away my value and I, and I make myself, um, you know, expendable and so on. Um, those people are toxic and uh, you should avoid having them in your organization where you've got those those examples because yeah. what happens when they're sick? What happens when they're on holiday? What happens when they decide that they're just not happy or that uh, that they want to go somewhere else? Like it's so bad for your organization if you've got someone truly that says, no, I'm, you know, I want to keep yeah, this yeah. secret. This is where my value, because also it's not true. Like that knowledge um is is available like we could you know that that knowledge can be built up but it just yep. takes time the the real value of you know humans in employment and so on is when they add their skills and creativity Indeed. you know the um having when you go and get your coffee from your favorite coffee shop the skill of the barista in making a coffee and the steps that they go through is pretty similar at every coffee shop that you go to largely yeah. There's some variation and in ingredients and these sorts of things, but most people like they don't feel like, oh yeah, I can't have a coffee at this place because it's awful, whereas the place next door is amazing. Right? It, it doesn't vary that much. However, yeah. what does vary a lot is your experience with the people there. And so, if you have a great experience where you know you get a smile when you're welcomed and uh, and that you're uh, and that you feel like you know they they care or that uh, it's delivered in a nice way and they get things right and all those sorts of things then you're likely to uh, rebuy. Whereas if you're treated like an inconvenience to them yep. and that they struggle to get your order right and as a result, it takes a few times before you even get what you want and all that kind of stuff, then, yeah, like you're unlikely to stay. And so I, I think that, yeah, you don't tolerate those sorts of people in your organization. That said, um, even the majority that would be happy to document it aren't necessarily sure on how to do so in an easy way. Yeah. And and uh, and I think they overcook it. They they assume that it needs to be loads of videos and you know hour long things and hundred page word documents and all this sort of stuff. And so they spend hours and hours of days creating very detailed documentation where it's just not required. You can start very high level and then add the detail where needed. And, and, and um, you know that's exactly what we did. Exactly yeah. what we did. I, I mean, we started off with just a Google Doc, and it's all right this is what I think it is. And then, and then it evolved over time where people would say, Oh, what do you mean by this? Or, um, how about adding this in this in? And you're right. It starts off high level. And I think that's the best way to get it to go really. Yeah. We've got, uh, one of our clients, um, uh, Ian at MBS accountants. So one of the things that he said that he loves the most is being able to brain dump, like here's at a high level what I think the process needs to be or here's what the outcome that I want from this process and just get that doc like captured. Yeah. And then either he or other people in the organization can then turn that into a more structured checklist that's easy yep. for other people to follow. Because that's yeah, the yeah. thing. It's like on the one hand, you don't want something that's like spent that you've spent hours or days on because then you're not going to get the return on investment but at yep. the other if it's just an absolute brain dump mess or a you know 45 minute video of you doing stuff but not in a particularly structured way then it's very inefficient for people to follow so as a result yeah. people spend a lot of time on the other end and so the sweet spot is by making sure that you're capturing it in such a way that it's uh, that it's quick to capture, but then easy to follow and to test and iterate. And so largely, 
that's <laughs> you could argue that that's kind of 80% of what we do at Air Manual is helping people do that. Because otherwise, okay. we know that the experiences that, as you say, like business leaders like yourself will document things in Google Docs. And initially, it's great. You're able to hand stuff over. But then over time, it like goes out of date and people aren't interacting and using it. It's not continuously improved or it ends up a bit of a mess and you're redocumenting. Yeah. Like, those problems can be solved when you know how and when you've got a, you know, a structure and so on that, that kind of supports you with that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, we've hit these problems ourselves building our own businesses, uh, yeah. including my previous software business, um, which, you know, after lots of pain, we learnt these approaches so that we got to a point where now neither me or my co-founder are required day to day in the business. Um, you know, and it really does it really does completely free you, like both in terms of freeing up your time, but also removing the stress. And and when you remove the dependency, you can do some amazing things like um, uh, summer of this year, I spent six weeks on a road trip uh, in a motorhome going through Europe, through uh, France and Spain. D didn't Six weeks didn't need to work. And at the same time, my co-founder took a four-week road trip and holiday with his family. And it's you're able to do that when you've got the people and the processes in place that mean that they can do stuff do you know, without you. Do you know what's funny, actually? I, I watched a YouTube video yesterday um, about productivity and it was by a guy, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Ali Abdel. And um, he was essentially saying that getting stuff out of your head frees up your mind to do other stuff, whether that is like exciting stuff or, or, or non-trivial stuff or whatever, or maybe it's just more to spend different area of your business and, and work on growth or marketing or whatever. And he... Um, and he's talking about all these different things, right? So like, you know, whether it's a using a calendar efficiently or your email provider efficiently or using like this sort of second brain stuff like Notion or um, Rome or all that sort of stuff or, or using like a task or a list manager. And a lot of it made a lot of sense to me. And I guess what you're talking about from Air Manual is the same thing, but from a business perspective, right? You start getting that out of your head. And I know it as a as a business person. I know how tough it can be when you've got all this stuff swirling around but like if you start organizing it then it frees up your mind to then go and do stuff that is a little bit more either interesting or profitable or evolving the business whatever it might be right absolutely spot on and i think that the way that i like to think of it is it's about creating space to make a greater impact you know that's ultimately as as entrepreneurs as business leaders as human beings we kind of all want to find our purpose, our impact, you know, what's the yeah. impact that we're going to have in the world, whether it's for ourselves, whether it's uh, for our family, our friends, for or just the world at large. Yeah. And I think the problem is that when you're, when you're short, when you feel short on either time or mental energy um, and space and, and clarity, that's when your ability to have a greater impact significantly diminishes. Um, Get overwhelmed, and, and, don't you? Sorry? Get overwhelmed. Exactly. And that overwhelm shows up uh, in terms of you know, stress and anxiety and all those sorts of things, but also in terms of um, fee uh, being unable to think bigger. And yeah. so rather than thinking, actually, how could I not just how can I get an hour with my kids uh, this evening because I'm you know, up against it with a deadline, but being able to think, how do I make sure that I'm never working evenings and weekends? 
or how do I make it possible so that I can take six week trips off with my family and not need to work? Or when thinking about the impact that you can have on the world and, the, and, and with your business, rather than thinking about, oh, you know, what am I doing with this individual customer? How am I going to get them onboarded? Because there's a slightly tricky way in which they've come through. When you've got things well organized, it means that the impact uh, question that you can ask becomes, actually, how could I be, how could we be reaching 10 times or a thousand times more people than we are currently? What would it take for us to uh, be able to deliver the results that we're getting for our customers, but do it for a uh, thousand per year or, or whatever? Like when, when you've got the space to be able to spend that time working on your business and, and yeah. being create more creative for that thinking, your leverage becomes infinitely greater. It's why when we look at, um, you know, bigger business owners and successful entrepreneurs and, you know, there's, there's the celebrity level kind of ones, you know, your Richard Branson's, Elon Musk and Bill Gates and so on. Like what have, what have they done? Ultimately they've thought bigger and uh, achieved leverage of their time by delegating more yeah. than we have. That's it. Like they are smart people, but ultimately what holds us back more than anything else is our inability to pass more things to more people and uh, think bigger uh, and, 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 and pursue those things. And so, you know, that, that's what I love about the work that we do is that we're essentially trying to free up people's time and reduce the stress so that they can make a greater impact. I saw a tweet the other day that said something like, your number one job as a founder is to make yourself dispensable. Uh, make yourself uh, dispensable or rather than indispensable. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Working out how do you, um, the way that I like to look at it is your job as an entrepreneur is find out what works, like, you know, uh, how to pitch a product or the right way to have a sales conversation or who to, how to reach your target market yeah. and then work out how to get it off your plate on and, yeah. and, and being done you know, by someone else or, yeah, exactly. or by something else. And and you that's basically your, you know, your cycle is find out what yeah. works, get it done by someone else so that you free up your time so that you can find out what works, get it done by someone else so that you can free up your time so you can find yeah. out what works and just keep on repeating that cycle. So I think as you say, making yourself dispensable, making yourself able to be replaced in every single role. I think there's, um, there's a really useful concept, actually, I think um, that because one of the things that people struggle with and it harks back to a point you made earlier around, you know, why do people hold back on this? Is they don't break down what they're doing enough. Yeah. So often I'll hear business leaders go, oh, if I could just hire another me, like if I could just clone me or, you know, I, I need to hire an MD or something like that. And it's like, no, you don't. Like for loads of reasons you don't, but also another you wouldn't want to work for you. Another you yeah. wants to go start their own business. And, and, you know and As well, is like most founders are and i'm and i'm being totally um i'm generalizing a lot here but a lot of founders are generalists in nature right so they will come up with a concept they might get it from like you know zero to sort of working mvp maybe a little bit yeah. more but then where the real growth comes in is when you then start getting the specialist to go oh you know like taking over your marketing or taking over your tech or taking exactly over the hr right. or whatever because most founders are not specialists in everything like so how even if you hired another one of you you're hiring another generalist or you know specific person right so it doesn't always work like that indeed and it, and it, it's why the input the uh what we recommend is people actually break up what they do into roles or you know the hats yeah. you wear 
So rather than thinking of yourself as, oh, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, so I do sales and marketing and operations and HR and finance and everything, instead it's going, well, really, I'm putting, I'm putting on my finance hat. And actually, if I was specific, this is a finance administrator hat that I'm doing yeah. when I'm doing my bank reconciliations and da-da-da-da-da. And therefore, the more clear you are about that and the more clear you're about, about how these responsibilities drop down, in the early days, yes, you're having to wear all of that. That's normal. Yeah. But over time, you should be going, this one I can take off and I'm going to give it to someone over here. Maybe it's a, a virtual assistant. Maybe it's someone, a part-timer. Maybe it's a, uh, someone that you employ or whatever. But take, like your job is basically like taking those off over time and getting them to, to other people so that you can, you can scale and, and do these things. And I think there's a misconception that people think, oh, oh, the, oh, when you're a big business, then everyone only wears one hat. That never happens. Yeah. Like I've, I've worked with some of the biggest businesses in the world and they have multiple people that are wearing multiple hats. It's just that you don't have a CEO who is also doing the finance admin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just the, the hats that are worn are sort of different, but it's like, it's still the same game. It's still a game of working out what works, turning it into a hat and a series of activities and, you know, processes and training and getting it to someone else and then making sure that you've got the, management structures the metrics etc to make sure that that's working while you move on to something else and find out yeah. what works and repeat the cycle indeed indeed um it's, it's very obvious to me entrepreneur is what you are now and you've got a lot of things going on but what was it you wanted to be when you were growing up uh i essentially always wanted to be an entrepreneur as as far as i can think back if i'm honest you know okay. I, um, I think embarrassingly i do seem to remember uh, after probably reading one of richard branson's books that i had this idea that i'd like to own a um a giant organization that was bigger than branson and owned airplanes and hotels and all these sorts of things um over the years i uh, realized that actually in terms of quality of life and time with my family, that that was much more important to me. And and when I was looking at um, some of the people that I was role modeling at that time, I realized that uh, although I uh, hugely valued what they'd done in business, I did not want what they'd done in their personal yeah. lives. And so the more I looked for role models of what I was looking for and more holistically in terms of uh, my life, I found um, uh, people that were creating businesses. I mean, you mentioned Tim, Tim Ferriss earlier. He became an, an example for me much later on of someone who had created businesses that weren't dependent on them so that they could have a richer, fuller life. Now, in his books, and at the time that I came across that, he wasn't talking about family time. But for me, that was a really, really big thing for me. I think partly um, because my parents went through a divorce when I was seven, and that impacted me really heavily. Um, I uh, was very passionate about making sure that I um, got get you know got and indeed now get lots of time with my wife and with my uh, two children, so that you know so that that doesn't happen to me and that, or that it, or that it decreases the likelihood, um, and that that doesn't matter anyway because I get so much quality time with them and, and so on. But um, it, it it is it is a balance, but it's one that was very important to me particularly uh, later on but yeah I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and even back when I was like 12 13 I was starting businesses I you know had had a PlayStation fan site with banner advertising I was washing cars and uh, sweeping drives and uh, when I went to university like selling headsets and building computers and all this kind of stuff um, so I clearly wanted to do all of that but um, 
couldn't work out how to delegate, ironically. And this is yeah. this is why this is why I love doing what I'm doing now because I'm not teaching people think something that I'm naturally amazing at. I'm helping people overcome something that I was terrible at. And for many, many years, well over a decade, I tried to build businesses that I can never expand beyond just me. And do you think, so, do you think um, delegation is a problem like a wide scale problem for entrepreneurs? It's something that I struggled with as well. Like when I sort of first started out. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think, I think some people find it easier than others. Um, I think that some people perhaps because they've come from um, a background, like um, where they've worked in companies where maybe they've had, had, you know, managed teams. And so they've kind of just got used to not doing day to day. Um, or maybe that's been their experience you know, from their, their family or maybe in sporting um, scenarios or whatever. Yeah. And so some people seem to have some of those, those experiences or, or maybe they, um, you know, have more of a uh, sort of football manager type mindset where they're, you know, they're kind of able to do that. But I think really 90% plus of the businesses that I come across, and the business leaders I talk to have got some form of challenge around needing to let go of things in their business and get it passed to other people. So I, I guess it's why um, we're very fortunate that <laughs> when I speak at events and go to networking events, literally we'll end up with more than 50% in the room tend to <laughs> tend to then want to talk to us about we yeah. can help because I think it's such a widespread challenge. You're solving the problem, aren't you? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I love that we're doing that and it's, it wasn't an overnight thing that we've come to, you know, I've, I've literally spent 17 to 20 years working out how to solve this problem in a way that I don't believe is solved uh, um, uh, fully enough anywhere else. So it's, um, yeah, and I think it's such an important thing because I say it's you know we talked earlier about creating a greater impact, which is a huge deal, right? You know, yeah. Ultimately, like what is your place in the world? But then for me, like even if we're just helping people have their evenings and weekends so they can spend it with their families, you know, clearly that's a a very personal thing for me um, that I, I I hugely value and uh, and and actually for our company, our fifth core value is enjoy the journey. So whether it's with kids and a wife or you know whatever or whether it's just with your friends or, you know, with your parents yeah. or whatever it is, like whatever you see as the thing, uh, as where your time should be spent. Uh, I find it so rewarding helping people to actually achieve those, those aims. Yeah. You, you kind of made me sort of think back to, I remember in a similar vein to you, I was telling someone about starting a business and, and the rest of it. And I was like, I want a unicorn. And they went, no, you don't. And I was like, I do, I do. I want to be the next Bezos or Musk or whatever. And they went, no, 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 you don't. I, was like, I do, I do, I do. And like, you've got no idea. Yeah. And then, and also similarly to you, it's kind of weird. Like one of my previous guests talked about Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week. So I also read that and I, t I took a lot away from that. I didn't realize at the time because it would have been, I mean, it'd been what, early 2000s, mid 2000s. I probably read that. Yeah. And at the time, I, you know, long before kids were even, you know, a thought for me, like I didn't, I knew that I wanted time. I didn't know necessarily what I wanted time for, but I knew that sort of looking at, you know, and there's, there's, I mean, his books probably haven't aged particularly well, but I think if you look beyond that, the underlying bits and pieces of the book and, you know, the kind of the important bits, I think that um, time was always a thing that I kind of wanted to get out of whatever I did. You know, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to spend that time on, even if it was just traveling back then or, you know, sort of, whatever it might be but it's interesting how i don't know if that's an age thing that you sort of as you go but i've seen it more and more actually people are trying to 
not be like over all consumed with work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people are certainly embracing it more now. I don't know whether it's that I'm just surrounded by more people of a particular age, but I think yeah. uh, COVID and so on, I think it helped people sort of tap more into what matters most. So yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's just a uh, wanting a unicorn and, and building that business. <laughs> Hilariously, my, uh, my six-year-old daughter um, wants a unicorn. I think she wants something different <laughs> to what you wanted. Um, yeah. My, my but, daughter's into but, pink fluffy unicorns as well. But, but, but the, I think the reality is probably the case for both, which is no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. Imagine if you actually had a unicorn in your garden. <laughs> like, the, you know, the people constantly coming and, you know, having to fend off poachers. It'd be awful. And I think the same goes for unicorns, right? Or unicorn businesses. Like, yeah. you know, all the, the paparazzi outside your door, the the people trying to, you know, kill your business and, you know, take away its horn and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, there are far more enjoyable ways to live your life and build your business. But um, it'd be interesting to speak to some of these, you know, like the Musks and the, and the Bill Gates and of this world. And actually, I mean, whether they'd say it publicly or not, I don't know, but it'd be really interesting to know what they, their view of actually going on that unicorn journey and whether they, I guess regret or is probably just too strong a word, but I wonder what their thoughts are about it. Yeah, I think I think there are some high profile examples where people have talked publicly about how um, they did that and came out the other side and kind of regret aspects and whatever. I think also it takes to get to that level. I think it takes a certain type of person. Yeah. I think um, you know Warren Buffett is a great example where you know someone I admire in many ways and uh, you know what he's created is absolutely incredible. But equally, I'm pretty sure I've read stories of him like literally stepping over his son to go upstairs to go check a portfolio or whatever. Like, you know, there's it takes a certain type of person to get to that level and not yeah. burn out and not have those regrets and da 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 and just carry on anyway. Um, unfortunately, there are far more people that are that have burnt out, had broken relationships that have meant that they never even get to that level of uh, notoriety. But um, but have had the pain and yeah. and that's the thing is like you know we've we've worked with and i know many business leaders who have had damaged relationships you know that they haven't spent time with their kids that their kids won't talk to them that they um uh, are on their third or fourth um marriage that uh, they um feel like they completely neglected their their body and as a result have got life-changing you know um uh, issues that they now have to deal with like so much of that and unfortunately most of us have got a story of either you know someone close to us or another business leader or whatever that we know yeah. who has gone down that route and so you know how do you avoid that it's uh, you, you first you have to set that intent you have to set the this is what i actually want from my life and then take actions to towards it but this is a big topic at the moment isn't it because a lot of people talk about this in sort of the hustle porn you know yeah and it's kind of similar like where do you stand then on it's a fine line right between getting your business to a successful level and actually putting in enough work to do so what's your thoughts on that yeah i'm i think in general i'm i'm anti on that on that that whole hustle story i think that the the problem with you know as with most of these sorts of things is there's an element of truth right yeah. because because there are a whole group of business um people who need to have a kick and go and do some stuff they spend too long worrying whether oh but is this the right thing or 
um, what if this doesn't work or, or whatever? Yeah. And so don't go and do any of the doing or the, and they spend a lot of com time complaining. And so for those people, yes, they need to hear that message. The problem is that it's very easy to be a busy fool. You know, yes. you can you can spend a lot of time just doing that hustle. But if you're never looking to scale your impact, if you're never taking what you've worked out works and getting it documented and delegated, then you don't then you're never playing a higher order game. Yeah. You know, if you if you're going and buying stuff at car boot sales and selling it on eBay and finding that's a way that really works for you for a very particular niche. Great. But don't just keep on doing only that, like work out how, you know, how can you scale that to, to achieve more? Because otherwise that hustle will only ever get you so far. So I think that's, yeah. that's the problem is that there is an element of truth. Um, but in general, I'd say that if you go down that route, you quickly burn out, like, cause, because you realize that the only way you can achieve more is to do more. And, and that's a, a, a bad path to go down. I'm picking up on something you just said a minute ago and something you mentioned, I think it might have been before we started recording actually, but out of curiosity, you said something about you're doing your LinkedIn lives and your daily things. And then you said a minute ago about, you know, focusing on what works. I guess a two part question is, are you, is LinkedIn working for you? And kind of just what sort of stuff are you doing on there? Because it's something I'm looking at at the moment is trying to be a bit more, active for lack of yeah. a better term i guess and I, i'm just kind of out of my own curiosity what was your sort of role there what you what you playing at what you're working on yeah so um it's always a tricky thing when whenever you're looking at what someone else is doing oh, without yeah, yeah, the course. context of why yeah. and so you, i can imagine someone looking at what we're doing going oh okay that must be working for them to achieve x results therefore i should go do that too yeah and um it's why it's really important to ask questions like you, like you just have because that isn't necessarily what I'd advise people, right? The reason that we started doing uh, daily LinkedIn lives, myself and my co-founder, um, was uh, it, it is nuanced. There are a few different goals. The yep. primary goal for us was actually that uh, I tend to be speaking at events, speaking on podcasts, speaking to customers, or you know, uh, groups of uh, potential customers. Um, I tend to be uh, looking at uh, our marketing messaging and selling messaging and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got my co-founder who's more product side. And so he's developing product, designing the product, uh, also creating uh, copy and marketing materials and so on. Right. Now, of course, you want those two things to be very aligned. Like you don't want them going off in different directions. And so we thought, well, actually, one way of doing that would be let's make sure that we have um, on particular topics, let's have a discussion about our thinking on that so okay. that we can make sure that we're aligned and that we've got the same ways of describing things, the same high level key points, principles, steps, examples that we can make sure are then used across the business rather than, um, than it feeling disconnected. Yeah. And then we thought, I mean, we could have just done that with a conversation between the two of us, but we thought this is something else we want to do is increase the amount of material that's available for existing and potential customers to understand things like um, why uh, lots of business owners think that they're not process orientated, but actually they are more so than they think, which was yeah. the topic that we recorded uh, just today or you know a few days ago where we talked about what do we do when we get a load of great candidates through a recruitment process and there's more than one that we'd like to hire, but we've only got one uh, vacancy available. What do we do? How do we nurture them? How do it like 
those things I am often asked. <laughs> and, and so we wanted an efficient way in which we could provide that. But over time, our expectation is that people share those, share those messages with others. And as a result, it creates more awareness of what we're doing. Now, I would say we are still in the working out what works stage of that cycle yeah. before we get to the, okay, now completely, you know, systemize everything and do this forever. However, we've had some really good results from it. And we've had some specific big uh, potential customers that have come out as a, as a result um, of doing it. We've also found that it saved us a lot of time in terms of uh, information that we'd otherwise have to create in other forms for existing and future customers. Um, it's okay. prompted us to create templates like our checklist for how to run your recruitment process um, that otherwise would have taken ages for us to come up with and agree what's going to be in it and all those sorts of things. So it's been really valuable from that perspective. I'd say we're too early to say that, oh, yes, and it's suddenly driving all the demand that we'd ever need. Um, but where there are things that we have in place that I'm hoping that we start to, to create some momentum there. But we, what we do have processes for is as soon as we've finished the recording, it gets uh, by other team members, it gets edited, it gets reposted. We have a, a one minute sort of promo video that gets shared on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, okay. um, you know, reshared on LinkedIn, all these sort of stuff. So that bit, that all happens and is systemized. And essentially all I do is rock up for... 30 minutes each morning and have a chat with my co-founder, which it's I like, It's uh, like building in public. Are you, are you familiar with the building public sort of concept world? Uh, no, no, I'm not. So it's, it's very much, it's probably more on Twitter than it is on LinkedIn, probably. But it's where people, founders, entrepreneurs talk about what they're doing, right? And their thought processes. And, and I guess it's like a step removed from the personal branding journey, but um sounds very much like what you're doing actually weirdly is talking to your audience about what you are doing in your business and it's great because a it makes people feel a part of what you're doing but it's also content in its own right which is kind of interesting yeah we're definitely doing that yeah i think it, um and and we share literally we share like our recruitment process how we do onboarding how we do like how we do everything and that's exactly we, what building public is, right? Because great. people, other entrepreneurs who are maybe in a similar boat to you or maybe a couple of steps back in the process, yeah, want to... So it's interesting that you're doing that, but you're not even aware you're doing it, which is kind of what fascinates me. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's. Um, I think it's, to some extent, it's because it's always been our approach is that, um, you know, we're, we're transparent. Like we don't try and pretend like we operate at a bigger level than we are. Um, but also we've had a lot of pain along the way and it, and it helps that in the case of air manual, it helps that it's not our first ever business. It's not even our first ever software business. So as yeah. a result, we know, um, we know a lot of the pains that we've had to get to, to get to this point. And therefore when I'm working with other business owners, I really don't want them to have to make all the same mistakes. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's boring, painful, and very sad. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's nice to be able to help people in that way, even if it's just yeah, sharing what we're doing. It's a big trust builder as well, I guess, for potential clients. If you if you can, if they can come across your content and it's like, oh, they've got the same problems we have, or it's, I mean, it does a big job of boosting that relationship before you've even spoken to people. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, tell me something about you that not many people know. 
I have learned to skateboard at the age of 37. <laughs> have you? Well, yeah, you, my eight-year-old son got a, uh, or set, he was seven at the time, he got given um, a, in fact, he's nine now, um, but when he was seven, he got given a skateboard by um, my mother, and uh, and he said, Daddy, will you learn with me? And I didn't have a good reason to say no, so I started learning with him, and I really enjoy it. And so I've even been known to take my skateboard with me to when I'm at speaking at events in London, and I'll use it like to get from the hotel to the conference venue <laughs> to the station and so on. Sometimes wearing a suit, um, but uh, more more often um, just sort of smart casual. But um, yeah, pe- there are people in the world that have seen me skateboarding near the Wembley Arena. Uh, on my skateboard, pulling a wheelie case. <laughs> nice. What well, what level are you at? <laughs> Traveling, uh, but not uh, not tricks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had um, I had a bit of a midlife. So I used to skateboard a lot when I was a kid, and I had a sort of a bit of a midlife crisis a few years ago. Where I was like, Do you know what? I'm going to buy a skateboard. And similarly to you, I've been taking it to this is like a little skateboard park with my daughters go on their scooters up and down, and I nice. sort of took it there. There you it's go. We'll have really to go like... skateboard together, Chris. Wow, well, <laughs> that looks so sad. When you get to your mid forties and you're moving around on a skateboard, you realise you're not quite as flexible and as bouncy as you were when you were <laughs> in your teens. No, true. I remember I, I uh, like my second really big fall, and uh, I was sat on a park uh, this park bench, and my son comes up to me and he goes, "Are you right, Daddy?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm just injured myself. <laughs> I'm just a bit injured." He says, um, "You just need to learn more." And I thought, oh, what an absolute gem of knowledge. And I was like, you're right. And so I watched YouTube videos on like how not to fall and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I haven't had a major fall since. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you just need to learn more. Good advice. It's solid advice. Um, tell me about pivotal moments and what's been one of the most pivotal in your life. Yeah, I think the biggest one has been learning how to delegate. You know, it's... Um, I mentioned that early on in my life, I made you know I was essentially trying to start various businesses, but could never work out how to grow it beyond me. And yeah. so that was the biggest change was when I suddenly worked like when that all clicked together. And it took I had a few false starts of hiring people and it not working out and needing to make them redundant. Hiring someone that did work out, but they didn't feel well managed or supported, so that they left after eleven months. And so it wasn't really until probably like early two thousand eighteen that I finally finally cracked that and ever since then yeah my business and my life and everything has just been so different and uh it's just been amazing in terms of my ability to extricate myself from the business but also to grow it significantly um you know we're now uh you know i've now got team members in nine countries across five continents helping over 550 organizations around the world and i couldn't have done any of that if that weren't for the fact it's that tough. I'd been integrated. It's tough though, isn't it? I, I always, rightly or wrongly, I always think about hiring. Like when you work for someone and hiring is a lot easier than when you're putting your own funds up and your own kind of, t- I don't know, it's, it's straight. I thought about this a lot um, and I've, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of pieces to it. I think one, it's not your own money. So as a result, you're willing to take a bigger risk um, which there is an element of that. Yeah. But I think the other thing is that generally when you're hiring into an existing business, that business has already worked out how to, you know, they've already worked out how to make money. They've already worked out how to sell the product, 
how to deliver mm. the product and therefore hiring another salesperson who's then going to sell the product in the way that the other people sell the product is way easier than as a new entrepreneur where you're kind of like, well, I know how to sell it, but I don't really know how to turn what's in my head into something that someone else can learn. Yeah. And so I think that there's so many, so much more friction. But once you've done that, so much easier then. Like oh, good, you know, yeah. for my businesses now, if you said, right, I, if I could wave a magic wand and you can have 10 times more leads than you currently have, like, you know, would that cause you a problem? It's like, no, I've got all the onboarding in place. I could, I could recruit and 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 recruit you know we've got process in recruitment and onboarding and training and everything like we yeah. just kick off all of those processes and and get those people in and trained up and delivering the same way as everyone else um that wouldn't suddenly cause me any concern whatsoever um so yeah it's it's much easier once you've got some of that work done do you, do you look back on any of the businesses you you mentioned that you've had a few that never really got going because you couldn't delegate do you ever look back on any of them and think, oh, is there any that spring to mind that you think would have been big if you'd have learned, known what you know now? Hilariously, I think any single one of them could have been grown and succeeded. And and that yeah. seems crazy, but... No, it doesn't seem crazy. Like, I, I think the same thing, actually. But, but because if I look at, like, for example, if you take one of the first one, like washing cars, it's like there are loads of, like, you know, I could have been doing, like, to your home car washes, which are businesses yeah. that I'm only really now seeing pop up in the last few years, like because of course you're providing great service. Like um, I had a PlayStation f- like um, fan site website. If I'd been able to do that properly and build that, that's the kind of thing that could be selling for millions and having you know sponsorship deals with with Sony and so on. Who, uh, by the way, have become a, a big client of mine. So uh, and they've uh, easily spent seven figures with me over the years. But like. Uh, you know, I could have I could have built that through a website, or you know, when I was selling headsets, how I could have through partnerships and and so on, how that could have become a big business, or building computers or whatever. Like as long as I had niched and 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 focused on the particular unique selling point, I think any yeah. one of those businesses could have been made to work. And there are businesses that make those things work. You know, like and that's the create like you know bows for headsets and so on. You know, it's, there's yeah. just so much opportunity out there that it's often you know it's the hard bit is finding out how you make it work and what the hats and what are the things that people have to do and then start scaling it um the potential for what your product i think the problem is that we put so much emphasis on what the product is and and so on and and as i did and then we kind of keep on dismissing them time after time like there's there's always a gap for what you're doing particularly if you're making a great impact yeah you and me are very much aligned on that weirdly weird strangely um i suspect the next question you may have already answered but i'll ask anyway tell me tell me some of um or one of the most valuable lessons you've learned um yeah i mean there's lots of things that we've kind of picked up on but i'll I'll quickly touch on that how to delegate because I i mentioned before like that was one of my weakest areas. That was genuinely, I and mean, it seems crazy now to my customers, to my team, to everyone. Like, how can you, like, you're one of the best managers, delegators, whatever. It's like, that was not me, um, okay. uh, not that many years ago. 
um, I was appalling at it. I was a control freak. I really struggled to communicate what I wanted people to do in a, an effective way. I really struggled to train people to then do it. And I really struggled when people made mistakes or had questions. I'd get really frustrated. I was appalling at all those things. Does that and, mean you took on a lot of it yourself because it was just easier to do it yourself? Than... Exa- exactly. And, and, yeah. and partly I'd tell myself, well, I'm really good at it. So maybe I'm just unusual that because I'm able to do it quick, yeah maybe i'm the person that shouldn't then hire to do these things it's just ridiculous like now i look back and just go no it's it's still even though i can do it quick even if i'm a generalist but happen to have a a few areas of specialist knowledge it is still worth going and finding someone else that can do this um even 80 percent as well as i can particularly if i give them the guidance because once i've given them the guidance and we continuously improve it it becomes better than what i could do and I crucially, I'm not having to do it, which means that I can do something else and I can work out what else works. I think that's the thing as well that people basically just hold back on. It's like, okay, but if I free up my time, if I hand this over, what then will I do? And they're worried that they won't find something else that's higher value to do. And of course, it's like, of course you will. Of course, if you, if I could give you an extra two days a week back, which we actually do, like we run a typically weekly webinar um, on how to free up 15 hours a week and remove the constant stress of running a business without slowing down growth. And like, I think when we say 15 hours a week, people, A, assume, oh, that can't be possible. Like, that's going to take ages. And it doesn't. But also, I think people worry, like, what will I then spend the time doing? And of course, the reality is, like, if, really, if I gave every business owner out there two days back um, yeah. like, and said, okay, how should you spend this time? How would a better business owner spend this time? And they'd all come up with the answers. They'd all say, you know, things like, well, really, I'm not doing enough on following up my, um, you know, sales leads, or really, I should be looking to um, systemize what we're doing on sales because it is working and I should be hiring, or really, I should be looking for strategic partnerships, or I should be uh, preparing for an event that we've got coming up in March that could be a major game changer for us. Like, I think if you even took a moment to think about where you're going to spend your time, you'd identify areas that are are high value. And so I think... um, overcoming that was the biggest thing for me, like working okay. out how to set out roles and responsibilities, you know, essentially defining the hats, how to make sure that we provided processes and checklists in a way that other people would find easy and fast to follow that didn't take me a long time to do. Um, and then how do we set up, you know, metrics and and dashboards, including process dashboards, um, to be able to track what's being done and where balls are being dropped and all that kind of stuff and, and do continuous improvement. like. As once we got that in place, that was just life changing. What do you think? So, for the people who are listening, who are in the same boat as you, going, "Oh God, he's talking about me." What's the one thing they should do as a result of this podcast to make them less like that? Um, so, I'd say that for most of them, um, well, I, I guess I can give a, a one thing that will give you an immediate quick win, but it's not yeah. gonna. It's not going to solve the, the long thing. So the, the one thing that will give you an immediate quick win is um, write down a list of where you're sp- currently spending your time, split it by high value, medium value, low value, and then identify some things from the low value that you can either eliminate, automate, or delegate and and start moving that process Like and do that on a regular basis. That's a quick win that you could do. However, for some, they will then struggle with how do I get documented? How do I delegate it? Or or I've been doing that, but now everything's going a bit out of date. Or um, how do I train someone, get someone onboarded without it taking up a load of time? And so for that, I'd recommend 
Yeah, I, I mean, as I say, we do we do, do um, a regular webinar, which um, people can register at airmanual.co forward slash webinar. Um, and, and at that, like, literally, we go through how do you do this stuff and yeah. uh, get an opportunity to interact with people to answer those questions. I think that that's the equivalent of giving them the fishing rod. <laughs> I think that gives them the ability to then work out exactly how you throw your time and, and genuinely create 15 hours a week and, and do so. Because the funny thing is, it's not a one-off exercise. It's not like, oh, I freed up 15 hours a week two months ago, therefore I'm, I can't do that again. Like you can Compounds, free up infinite time because you can just repeat that game. Like yeah. stuff that was medium value now in six months' time could be low value comparatively. There was a time when the highest value thing I could do was have sales in one-to-one sales scores with potential customers. Then it became medium value, and at some point it becomes low value, and you want that off your plate and handed over to salespeople. Now yeah. the highest value thing that I can be doing is talking to large audiences, speaking at events, and so on. But yeah. you know, it's like it, it it just it changes over time. I think it's a good way to look at it, the value thing. It's something that actually has come up in conversation a couple of times with me lately, because when you start actually attributing a value to it, you, and then you work out what your hourly wage is to do that task sometimes you think god almighty i could be working at a supermarket checkout yeah like and it doesn't quite you know not there's anything wrong with that in the slightest but from it's not why you start business though is it no it's not and it's when you attribute (laughs) your value to what you're actually earning doing xyz task it's like but it sometimes takes that exercise to then have that you know realization doesn't it Absolutely. And it's, um, I've heard it described before and uh, by, um, by some of my mentors like uh, Nick James and, and Dad Bradbury and so on as, as you know, what are the, um, the £10 tasks, £100 tasks, £1,000 tasks in terms of yeah. value and, and order of magnitude. And it's same as like low, medium, high value activities. But it's uh, the reason I, I tend to use low, medium, high is because I think it changes over time. You know, the yes. equivalent for 10, 100,000 would be like, Okay, and then what's the ten thousand pound task, and what's the hundred thousand pound task? Like, um, because you just want to be moving your way up. But I think the other mistake that people make is trying to too quickly do only hundred pound or thousand pound tasks. Like, because they're like, well, I don't, want, you know, I shouldn't be doing any of the admin. It's like, well, does that mean that you won't send any invoices and you won't do any chasing of payments and so on? Yeah. It's like, well, in the early days of business, you've got to do those things. Like, money will not come in the door unless you do that. But you need to work out a way that works that either you can automate or you can delegate so that you can free up your time from it. But you won't be able to do that before you've got revenue. <laughs> like before you made your first sales, don't try and automate and you know delegate all of your finance admin. I think it's really important actually the takeaway from what you just said there about is how the value um, brackets move. And I hadn't really thought about it from that angle and, and until you said it, it actually makes total sense. I think it's a really important lesson from that because what might be low value to you today or high value tomorrow, like in three months time, exactly to your point, and this is quite, I'm glad you said it, is not always the case. No, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about superpowers. I believe everyone's got at least one. What would you say is yours? Yeah, I'd say for me, what I'm really good at is summarizing complex things. Um, and that serves me really well when I'm then problem solving. So we can okay. take a complex problem either for us or for clients and, you know, a complex process and just go, actually, you know, if we would summarize it, we can break it down to three parts and here's the challenges that you've got with each of those parts. And then it, you, it puts you in a much better place to then try and solve the problem. 
I think that's the that's the bit that I'm probably really really good at. Okay. Solid life skill that I think. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, although although it doesn't uh, help me when you have those situations in your personal life where someone wants to tell you a problem, but you not have you immediately start helping to solve it. Yeah, victim of your own success. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, soapboxes. What topic is most guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? Yeah, for me, it's um, when people say, oh, it's hard to manage people or that I don't enjoy managing people. Um, that's where I, I used to be is is fearful, actually, of managing people. Right? My One of my early managers, in fact, two of my early managers, separate businesses, um, told me that they didn't think I'd be good at managing people. And that terrified me because I thought, well, I'll never be able to build a business then. And so for quite a long time, I avoided hiring, I avoided managing, I, and even when I did hire, I tried to go down the Tim Ferriss route of pay, make them completely arm's length and basically just send me an email once a week or whatever. Yeah. Um, but what found was, that why, why did they say that? Um, I think because, uh, I think there are a few reasons. I think uh, when I was operational, like either you know doing something in the business or being a consultant, I tended to want to move really, really quickly. You know, talk about sort of the hustle porn kind of thing. It's like I wanted to get stuff done and move forward. And I wasn't bringing people with me. I wasn't um, utilizing others and uh, helping distill for them, like, this is what we're trying to achieve and so on. I was like, just getting things moving by sheer energy (laughs) and force of will and and productivity. And so I think that was the feeling is like, whoa, no one's going to want to work for you because you just move so quickly. Like, no one will be able to keep up and they won't feel very valued and all this kind of stuff. So, but I didn't understand that as deeply as I do now at the time. I just felt like people were just telling me I'd never be a good manager. Yeah. Um, and so, but I meet so many business leaders who say, yeah, I'm not good. I'm not a good people person or I don't like managing or I'm not good at managing. Um, you know, I haven't got the people skills and, and so on. And, and it holds them back because it means that they think, oh, I need to hire someone to do that. But it's like, so who's going to manage them? Yeah. Still needs to be you. And, and, and also, if you can only have managers in your business that happen to be amazing people, you know, people, people who's like, who are going to be the other managers in the organization and, and so on. So it doesn't work. Like there's a quote, which is Peter Drucker that says that, um, uh, and I'll have to paraphrase, but it's like um, no institution or organization can, can uh, grow uh, and be sustained in the long term if it needs to be managed by geniuses or superhumans. It yeah. must be organized in such a way that uh, or, uh, that a group of average human beings can can manage it. And so I think that speaks to the fact that you've got to make management easy in your organization, management of the processes, management of the results and management of the people. You've got to give people the the guidance, the checklists, the processes, the policies, the what you know the training so that anyone in your organization could do a good job of managing others. And actually, it can be really enjoyable then, particularly when you're fundamentally supporting the development and growth of other individuals. And actually, not just for them, but for you. Like One of the best things that I find from having weekly one-to-ones with my employees is that we'll talk about, you know, either something's not going as we would like, in which case it's an opportunity to address it. Fantastic. and, And we work out how to improve it. Or they're doing great, in which case normally we're looking for ways in which they can add more value, which often means taking stuff off my plate. Fantastic. So 
I think when you change the way in which you approach people management, it becomes something that can be enjoyable and hugely high leverage. You know, we talk about the £10, £100, £1,000 like potentially hiring and, and nurturing and developing people in your organization. You're talking about the 10000 the £100,000, the million pound task there because that leverage that you get through building an awesome team is just, yeah, unparalleled really in any other thing that you can do in your business. I mean, this is obviously a topic, as uh, you know, the question would suggest, that you're passionate about. Is it? Is, I mean, that leads me to wonder, is this something you see a lot? Yeah, I, 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 I see a, a surprising amount, and, partic- and surprising to me particularly because I thought I was the unusual one. I thought right. I was the only business leader that didn't know how to manage people and didn't want to do it and was scared of it and whatever. And yet so many business owners that I know kind of they love the building they love the making and the inventing and so on and mm-hmm. the idea of managing people doesn't appeal that much you know that you know that you'll hear it characterized as you know oh, i don't want your life story i'm not interested in what gladys had you know what she did at the weekend or whatever i just wanted her to do a good job and it's like it's missing the point being a good manager isn't knowing what gladys did at the weekend it's um it's providing enough engagement and support and uh, and being available and so on, so that they feel like you've got their back and that you care about um, their well-being, which doesn't mean that you necessarily know what they did the whole day, but it does mean that when something goes bad for them, that you're quick to say, oh well, you know, uh, here's some, here's some, you know, here's how we can help, and is there yeah, anything yeah. else we can do? It's That's kind of, not kind of... a hard thing to do. You don't need amazing people skills to to be able to do that. It's kind of in line with what you said earlier about, you know, your your lack of delegation skills. And it makes you wonder how many businesses have fallen by the wayside because people haven't wanted to engage in this sort of people management. Yeah, I, I think definitely. And and uh, for me, it's, it, I think um, so I think for some people it's about uh, avoiding it completely. And I was definitely there. But then when they yeah. do it, they do it so weakly. Um, and with an A, not 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 yeah, regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it. They do it in a way that is um, lackluster and half-assed. And as a result, they get poor results and go, "Well, see, I told you I was bad at managing." And it's like, "Well, yeah. yeah if you do it like that, like <laughs> the number of business owners I know will hire people, and I know some people are quite, you know, um, uh, sort of quite resolute in this, and won't have weekly or fortnightly one-to-ones with each member of their team. They kind of see that as, oh." Oh, do I have to like what a lot of time? And actually, it's one of the most high leverage activities I can have because it gives me that opportunity to check in and unblock them and develop them in a way that doesn't derail the rest of my week. You know, I I only have one weekly one to one with those team members. They don't get one to one time with me outside of that. Every other time that they get with me, it'll be part of some kind of team meeting or, or whatever. So. It's super high leverage, and yet the number of business leaders say, "No, no, no I don't do that." Like they can send me an email summary once a week or once a month, or I just keep an eye on the metrics. And those people won't stay. They don't feel connected to your organization in the same way. They don't feel yeah. like, you know, they don't feel nurtured and supported. And they'll either they'll either half ask do the job or uh, leave. And uh, when a better option comes along. Whereas we've got team members who have been, have been approached and offered two to three times what their salary is. They don't leave. They're happy because they're engaged and we've got a great team and we support that culture and so on. And, and 
that has come about through better processes, not because I've suddenly become an amazing people person. That's impressive to hear. Very impressive. Um, my next question is about advice. And I think, I imagine the journey you've been on, you probably, I'm hoping you can have quite a good answer to this, but what's, what's some of, or one of the best pieces of advice you've ever heard? Yeah, so I've had a lot of advice and I, I you know, I attend masterminds and all these sorts of things to, and read a lot. But the, if I was to give one tip or one piece of advice is you get what you tolerate you get okay. what you tolerate so whatever it is in your personal life in your business or whatever if there's something that irks you or that um is a behavior or scenario that you're not that happy with if you keep tolerating it you will get more of it if you deal with issues in your business by just doing the thing you sell that you uh, that, that remains like you know just doing things then you will get more things to do if you're spending if you're dealing with mis mistakes and issues by firefighting you will get more fires to fight okay you know if you have low performing staff in your team and you don't manage them and deal with it and instead leave them in you will get more low performing staff and the best ones will leave you get what you tolerate. I never heard that before, but it makes total sense. So what's the solution? Uh, the solution it. is uh, uh, <laughs> no longer tolerate it. Set the bar high. Like decide this is, this is what my expectations are and hold people account, hold yourself and others accountable to it um, and, and don't lower that bar. You know, we, one of the things that we have in Air Manual is like a dashboard that allows you to see all of your processes, when they were last done, like when they next due, and you can, you know, manage all of that. Mm. If you're looking at a sea of red overdue stuff and you just tolerate that and just go, oh, yeah, that's fine, they'll ignore it, then you'll get more of the same. Whereas yeah. if you set the bar of, no, 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 the expectation is that in general, this is all, you know, clear and there's not these red things going, yeah, this is overdue or whatever then as a result, you can properly deal with it. You can have, you know, as part of your weekly team meetings, you can take five minutes just to review the dashboard and go, okay, what are the things that are overdue? Oh, this one, um, uh, Tim, you know, that's, uh, you're, you own that particular process. Is that already in progress? Any blockers? Oh yeah, no, that'll be done today. Fantastic, right. What else is on the list? Like when you set that as the, the bar, people will uh, reach to meet it. Um, whereas yeah, when, you, when you lower it, they will happily just uh, uh, duck under it. And things become the norm, don't they? Very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good bit of advice. Um, when you think about the future, what do you see? I think particularly at the moment, I think it'd be easy to end up with quite a negative future view here. You know, we've got, we're in a situation right now where we've had, we've come out uh, or still in a global pandemic. We have, uh, you know, um, global energy crisis, we have war, we have all these sorts of challenges. And I think that, and, and climate change is a huge one as well, that is massively under, uh, um, uh, misunderstood and uh, underestimated and so on. So I know it's going to become bigger um, in quite a, a short period of time. Um, and so I think it would be quite easy to be bleak on this. The optimism and, and what I see in the future is huge innovation. You know, we've come so far, we've got so much in terms of what we can do, and yeah. yet there's so much more to come. Um, and I think we often underestimate what that will look like. And so I think, um, but ultimately as entrepreneurs, we're creating that future. I think most of what we look at as being like huge jumps forward have come from business leaders who have 
created the space to have that impact. They've thought big and they and they've gone for it and they've uh, rallied teams around them to achieve it. Um, yep. And so that will, as a result, that will lead undoubtedly to, um, you know, finding ways of being able to put populations on Mars and being able to identify ways in which we can uh, reduce the impacts of climate change and all these sorts of things. But it will only happen if people make it happen. If entrepreneurs do do these amazing things, you don't achieve those results by flicking through TikToks and and Twitter and looking at the news sites and so on, thinking about oh my god, isn't this all awful? Let me just you know watch another funny cat video like. Um, how that's dated? Like, do, do people watch funny cat videos anymore? I don't think they do. It's, it's people dancing now. Um, yeah. yeah, you've got to you got to stop doing that and instead look at what's the real impact that you could have on the world on something you care about. Whether it's for me, it's about people getting time with the people that they love and that matter with them to form great relationships and and have a greater impact. But whatever it is that you you care most about, like set big goals and and go do them. Good answer. It's a great answer. It's, it's, it's kind of while you were talking, I got me thinking about um, <clears throat> about that question. And it's amazing. I think every one of the people I've asked that question to has been optimistic. And I don't know if that's through just total luck of who I'm getting on the podcast or whether actually people are generally just a bit more optimistic than not I think there's um I'm trying to remember the uh the book that I read I said I said outliers sorry I don't think it was outliers it's something else um it'll come to me later but there's um uh there's a book that um deals with how most people get things wrong about um uh sort of macro things that are going on in the world it'll come to me um but it talks about things like if you said to people um uh what's going to happen with the global population. And they, they chart it and go, oh, yeah, it's going to get more and more and more and more and more. And actually, that isn't what's going to happen. It will keep going up for a bit and then it will flatten out. Yeah. Um, and, and the data is there. And the, and, and the same thing for um, you know, global poverty and all these sorts of things. If you generally, if you say if things got better, got worse, stayed the same, people either say, oh, got worse or stayed the same. And actually, the reality is things have been getting better consistently and incredibly better and will yep. continue to but for some reason the way in which our brains tend to work means that we kind of don't see it and don't understand some of these things that, that aren't or social media portrays the bad things and yeah, amplified beyond any way that was ever there before yeah i think it's a yeah. big part of it you know news and and also it serves you know politicians and uh, and so on to emphasize the things that are going wrong because uh, wanting to push an agenda of what can be right. But yeah. often, you know, if you scale it back and compare it to 30 years ago, we've made huge leaps and bounds. So I think the reality is things are going to get better um, uh, longer term over time. The problem is that it's a very bumpy ride along that journey. And so yeah. you have sh short periods of immense pain and, and, um, uh, and periods of relative good where people don't even realize that they're in that great period. Like who'd, mm. who'd have thought that 2019 was so amazing, right? <laughs> uh, at true. the time, don't appreciate it. And then 2020 hits and you go, oh. And then you go, well, 2021's got to be better. And then it's worse. And then 2022 yeah. is but And you kind of feel like, oh, my God. But you don't appreciate it at the time. And we're going to have we're gonna have a rocky couple of years uh, coming up, undoubtedly. Um, but when you roll it forward, when you start to go 2026 beyond, like, yeah, we'll, we'll look back at this period and, and just be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was, that was annoying, but yeah, things are so much better now. And there'll be innovations and, and results that we've got as a result of the pain. 
Like mm. there, there will be advances in medicine that have come about um, as a result of COVID. There are, adv- there are already advances in what you get in terms of how you are served by so many service providers out there in terms of your of the ease of access through virtual means that you can, yeah. just couldn't get before. You know, um, and so I think all of that is just amazing. And we're just going to see more and more of that. Wise words, indeed. Right. Last question for you is, was, I pinched this from another podcast that you may or may not be familiar with, but my previous guest has suggested this question for you. And afterwards, I will ask for a question from you for my next guest. It's quite funny, actually. I get a range of questions, and some are very serious, and some are not. And this is probably in the not category. Cool, That's but fine. it is if you if you had a theme song, what would it be? If I had a theme song, what would it be? It might be like for um, I don't know. What would you be your walk-in song at a boxing match, for example? Yeah, the 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 one that comes to mind for that would be um, it's a song um, I need is it I need air, um, which uh, is a sort of dance track, and um, my wife and I are quite into a bit of uh, dance uh, dance music, and um, that one uh, rings a bell for me. Obviously, it's got air in it, which relates to air manual, but it's um, that feeling in business sometimes and personal life of of like that that overwhelm and what that can feel like that that like i need air just like i need yeah. that that space <laughs> that, that that thing so i think that probably um would be a walk on for me um but yeah d- definitely be some uh dance track uh for for me um maybe something by uh, dead mouse or marshmallow or something like that or a bit of guetta calvin harris beachy yeah no, it's, uh, uh, there's, it would be it'd be hard for me to just pick, pick one song, but I'll go for I Need Air for now. <laughs> that is a solid answer. I still haven't decided what mine would be. Um, Alexis, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, it's been a real pleasure sort of getting to know you and chat a bit more. Where can, in, if anyone resonates with what you said or wants to get in touch and say hello, where, where should I be pointing them? Yeah, so I'm on uh, various forms of social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, um, uh, and so on. And so do find me on there, Alexis Kingsbury. There aren't many of her, her Alexises, as uh, I think uh, so the, uh, there aren't many male ones, certainly. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly the only one that's co-founder of Air Manual. So you should have no problem finding me. Uh, I'll, link there. To the, I'll link to them below as well. Fantastic, the, thank show you. Um, and then I'd highly recommend that people... Um, uh, check out destressyourbusiness.com where you'll see myself and my co-founder um, talking a bit like this about, but we go really deep uh, and deep dives into very specific topics which I think people find really helpful for example we did a whole um, uh, conversation around why we don't and you shouldn't use CVs for filtering candidates in the first stage of recruitment process you know that's a one part of a process and, and so we've got a lot of uh, deep content like that and also, I'd recommend that people um, uh, uh, check out um, airmanual.co forward slash webinar and join me on a, an interactive webinar in which I can um, help them solve some of their biggest challenges. But uh, otherwise, yeah, re- reach out or you can email me alexis.kingsbury at airmanual.co uh, if you've got questions, et cetera, that uh, I'd like to cover. or um, like Just, to just for the record, them. Alexis, like I assume that the services you're offering and the content you're pushing out isn't solely just for business owners right i'm i'm assuming it's hugely beneficial to managers and i mean just just off my head there i was thinking about recruitment there's obviously a lot of people who do recruitment who aren't business owners so i'm assuming that therefore there's a lot of value add 
for yeah, most people. Indeed. And I, th- I think it helps that we come from two angles, right? We come from the experience, uh, having the experience of building businesses ourselves, but also we've been management consultants working with companies like Sony and Honda and all these sorts of big businesses. So we, yeah. we know both sides. And indeed, you know, I've had um, very large organizations reach out to us as a result of some of the, the stuff that we've done, you know, organizations of one, one that comes to mind is 12 billion revenue a year. Um, the, 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 you know, can apply the same kinds of practices that we have. I suppose I often talk about it more in the context of business owners, partly because um, it, there's a, an element of personal passion for me there around I know the pain and I know the, the yeah. burnout and all that kind of stuff that we've talked about. Um, but yeah, it definitely works for any business leader and, and senior manager in any organization because essentially it's the same, it's the same game. It's just that rather than looking at every function, you know, marketing, sales, operations, et cetera, it's yep. just that it's for your area. Um, you know, if you're a finance manager within an organization, you've still got to work out how do you sort out accounts payable, accounts receivable, banking, tax, recording and reporting, all these sorts of, you know, payroll. How do you get all of those things and how do you manage all of that in a way that uh, is efficient? Makes your life easier. Yeah. Okay. If anything that Alexis has said, make sure you go and check it out and it will make your life easier at work, ultimately, hopefully. Um, Alexis, thank you so much. I'm conscious of time, so I will let you go, but I appreciate you um, sharing your wise words and, and information with me and the listeners. So thank you. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you for having me. That was 10Q interview with Mr. Alexis Kingsbury. If you made it to the end, thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure I'm assuming you did since still being here. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribed wherever you're listening to this. And the next 10Q interview episode will be in your feed very, very soon. So take care of yourselves and Please share this with anyone you think would be relevant. I'm sure there's someone, isn't there? Go on, you know you want to. Anyway, thanks and speak to you soon. Bye.